Alma Howard. Mary Blair. Alice Davis. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Disney 8. It's May the 9th, 2018, and we're recording, and I'm here with my handsome buddy. <laughs> Looking good this week. Jason, what's going on? The the vitamin D and the tan is starting to kick in. Thank so, you. Tell you what, I wanted you to come visit, but the way you're looking, you're going to put me to shame, man. You're, uh, <laughs> you got that summer glow, and everything's looking good about you. <laughs> Now everybody's jumping online to see what we all look like. I know, like, what? Huh? What is this? It's like, <laughs> pretty, let me, let me, like, if you've never seen him, if you've never seen Jason, let me throw this out there. It's like David Hasselhoff without hair. It's just, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, running down the beach, saving lives. Uh, but It's, it's kind of like uh, Stone Cold meets Mr. Clean. It kind of is like that. It is. But like, lighter. I, I but like lighter. It. I like it's it. toned. I'm toned. Well, hey, man. We're here, uh, here for a fifth episode of this series, the first season of the Disney 8. I don't know about you, I've enjoyed it. It's been a, an interesting ride. I probably would have to say that I didn't expect to learn as much as we have. And it's been more interesting with every person we've talked about. All these ladies have a lot in common, but you know are different in their own ways. And the one we talked about last week on episode four, Hazel George, and her influence on the Disney company was second to none. When you, I don't know about you, but like at night is before bed or at two o'clock in the morning, insomnia moments, you let the mind wander. And we spend so much time like researching and learning these, these, these women in particular with this series. Do you ever get that feeling that uh, kind of like almost like there's a part of you that's missing because you're never getting an opportunity to meet these women? Definitely, yeah. Because they were so incredible. It's just like there was such a connection that these these women had that because we spent so much time on it, you know, I almost go down that road of almost um, feeling sad because these were incredible people that we're never going to meet. You know, it kind of makes me look back at my own life. I don't know if you've done this as well, is like who are the influential... If someone was going to do a show about you, Jason, in the future, and they're talking about you, who are the influential women that would be, you know, the eight people they're concentrating on. And I think back, you know, and it's probably people, some of these people, you know, you haven't had contact with in a long time, but they really influence your life. And I think, you know, it makes you kind of do a retrospective look on your life. Like, wow, you know, these women had this impact on Walt Disney, but there's been amazing women in my life too that have helped me get to where I am and have driven me and, and pushed me and motivated me. And so I, you know, behind 
every fantastic man, there are better women. We always say that. The first person that comes to mind is my mom, and the second one is my wife. You know, my mom is always the motivator, is the one that's from knee high, was dream and dream big, and I'll always get your back. You know, she's even now, I'll come up with harebrained ideas, and, and she is just all for it. Why? Because she's mom. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, and I know you got a special uh, uh, wife, too, you know, one that, that, that puts you in check when you need to get put in check. And uh, She puts me in check more often than she doesn't, So it's, uh, but it's needed, that's for sure. But, I mean, you're looking at Hazel. You know, she was a confidant for Walt, and if you haven't listened to that episode, skip back an episode, listen to episode four. She was Walt Disney's nurse, but she was also his psychiatrist, his confidant, his one of his best friends, and she took you know took care of Walt his most vulnerable states when he was angry when he was sad when he was depressed you know other times that he wouldn't let people see him that way you know he hid behind that office door but allowed her in to be a part of those moments and they would work through them together I'm at a loss for words for her she was definitely an asset to the Walt Disney Corporation and Walt Disney himself you know as a result of her who knows and we'll never know how many, you know how like you and I will bounce ideas off each other? How many of those private moments of ideas that were bounced where it sparked some mm-hmm. something inside Walter himself, you know, to create something? So definitely, uh, she definitely was an incredible person. Yeah, and this week we know what, we have another incredible person. And we go from one person who a lot of people probably don't know her name with Hazel George. Uh, they should, you know, she was a lyricist there for the Disney Company. You know, inspired multiple, multiple films with her music uh, abilities, although she wrote under a pseudonym of Hazel Gill. But this person didn't do their work under a pseudonym. This person did their work under their name. And if you go to Walt Disney World or you go to Disneyland, you're a fan of the Disney Company, you definitely know who this person is and you have enjoyed their work. Mary Brown Robinson, born October 21st, 1911 in Oklahoma. She moved to Texas when she was still a small child and then headed to California in her 20s. Now, she did get a degree from San Jose State University, and as a result of that, she was awarded a scholarship to Chouinard Art Institute in Los Angeles. Graduating in 1933, in 1934, she married Lee Everett Blair, which leads to a name that will be spoken in Disney lore forever. Mary Blair. As soon as Mary is at the Chouinard Institute, she meets her husband, Lee, and the two of them, they not only fall in love, but they create something that will last a lifetime, and that's Mary's, not not just passion for the arts, but her artistic style. I mean, they create this awesome watercolor painting uh, style of, of, of harsher lines and bright, bright colors, you know, mixed with uh, similar bright colors, uh, you know, things of that nature. And it's also um, at a time where she's starting to be known not only locally, but nationally. In 1938, the Western Women magazine described Blair as, I quote, one of the younger Los Angeles artists who was gaining recognition for the sincerity and originality of her work. But here's the problem. Even though they're starting to you know, gain notoriety in the art world, they still aren't making money what they're doing. They're still having a hard time. I mean, you have to realize they're a new couple. They're out of school. Although they had scholarships, they're trying to build a life together. And so in 1938, Lee 
goes to work for the Walt Disney Corporation to work as a color director on Pinocchio and Fantasia, two fantastic films. And he comes to Mary and he says, Mary, listen, we need money. You need to come work for Disney. And she, in her own words, reluctantly heads over and joins the Disney company in 1940. And her first job, she hated it. She was paid little to nothing as a sketch artist on a film that would later be known as Lady and the Tramp. And, you know, when she did interviews and she talked about this time in her life, she just really didn't like the fact that her artistic ability and her, you know, she was an innovative woman. We talk about all these women throughout the Disney 8. She was an innovative woman and she was wanting to come up with her own ideas. She had her own artistic style and she hated the fact that her art was based on everyone else's ideas. She was having to do everything the way everyone else was doing it. And a lot of the other animators did not like the fact that she would branch off on her own. You know, she had her own style of those harsher lines, those, you know, uh, uh, they almost said it wasn't a complete uh, piece. It lacked definition, as they would say. And she would come back and, you know, just stick to her grounds. This was the way she painted. This was the way she saw art, the way she saw the world. And uh, she soon was working on a few other littler projects, things like Penelope in the 12 Months, which was a uh, about a young girl and a grandfather clock. And um, it's also, that's the first time that you see her kind of doll-like features, which we'll get into, I'm sure, here, you know, in a few minutes on this episode about her doll, you know, the dolls she brings to life. But she also works on Baby Ballet, and that is made up from Fantasia. You know, they wanted that to be a follow-up for Fantasia. But the problem is some of her art, she's excited to be doing these newer things, but it kind of gets pushed to the wayside. You know, during this time... Mary Blair actually called her work interesting. John K. Maker is a Disney historian, and he wrote two two books on Blair. And, you know, during this time, he would say that her artwork, and I quote, looks like the work of three different artists. You know, and she personally described her work during this time as just interesting. You know, but soon enough, she would be pulled away by Walt himself because the country was right on the brink of war. And at that time frame, you know, when, when you're talking war, you're talking finances that are drying up. You're talking money that's not there for uh, revenue overseas because you got to remember the world was already at war. So the United States hasn't been pulled into this yet. So when you have war overseas, you don't have movie theaters overseas. You don't have money coming in from animation for the studios. On top of that, let's throw in the strike. Now, we all know how Walt felt about this strike. You know, that was a real personal chop to the chins for him. And he decided to just take a trip to South America, and he asked Mary Blair to go with him. Yeah, this trip was a goodwill trip. It was, you know, really what this was was an excuse for Walt to board the plane, take some of his favorite animators down to South America with him, and to make a few films, to make a few, uh, you know, just to get away from all the daily stress he had. The strike of 1941 was took such a toll on him. And when you're looking at the war, you know, uh, the company is really putting all of its efforts, all of its finances into making propaganda films, you know, coming up. Walt 
was a patriot. Walt wanted to be a part of the war effort, and you knew that based on World War I, him forging his birth certificates, he'd want to be a part of the war effort. So he was going to do anything as power, but Walt also was stressed. He knew he needed to get away, so he gets his best animators, and that includes Mary Blair. They board a plane, they head to South America, and it's this trip that will change Mary Blair's life forever. This trip will change her look not only on the world, but will change her look on animation and her artistic styling. When she arrived in South America, she absolutely fell in love with not only the culture, but the colors, the uh, lines, the buildings, the people. She didn't glamorize the poverty. She didn't glamorize the aspects of those cultures, but she did do something that would affect her forever. She really looked into who these people are, and it changed her. It really did change her. And she brought that back with her. And, you know, while they were in South America is when they got all of those ideas for great, great uh, films like Saludos Amigos from 19, you know, the 1942 uh, and Three Caballeros from 1944. And it's those films that you can really see Mary Blair's impact and color and all that coming out in those films. She gets to be herself for one of the first times, and it's a major, major impact on her life. She knows what she wants to do, but she loved the culture so much that she not only went on that trip, she turned around, right around, and goes to Mexico in 1942, and then she goes to Cuba in 1943. She surrounds herself with these cultures. If there's one thing you know, if you've been to Mexico, you've been to South America, been to these places, is it's a vibrant culture. Walk into the Mexico Pavilion. Walk in and see all the colors when you walk, you know, with the sombreros and the paintings and the masks. I mean, just the the vibrant colors and she loved it. She thought it was it was fun and jazzy and just a really really showed her personality. You know, when you and that's the key word right there, Justin was personality and I'm glad you said that word because I that, that pretty much summed up everything on her artwork is her personality that's her signature you know moving forward between 1942 and 45 uh, almost all of disney films were uh government contract i mean this was this was you know we know walt was a patriot we we knew that he was going to uh roll up his sleeves and do everything he can to try to to help uncle sam in any way possible and we have a lot of contract uh videos for training and propaganda now this isn't real conducive for uh, uh, Mary Blair on the big budget side of things however let me say a quote from her the diversifying of the business would be the salvation of it so what Walt did was he went instead of putting a big budget film out he would do small small films short films package films and there was enough leeway on this where she could really throw her artistic talent into it. Make Mind Music, um, Melody Time, The Adventures of Ichabod, and Mr. Toad. These were all incredible works of hers. You know, and it's a lot of these films are they're smaller pictures. They're not the big grand things like Snow White that just really changed culture, changed cinema history forever with a full-length animated picture that people were going to and they loved. But Walt knew that it was time to bring the company back to what made it great. Bring the company back to making these these long, full animated features that people are going to go to theaters, they're going to get the families together and go see these and make an evening out of it. And so they come up 
with Cinderella. And Walt says, who better than to take over Cinderella and to really shake up everything? Mary Blair. So Mary comes in and she is working on Cinderella with her own design, her own ideas, her way of animating. And of course, the, the, a bunch of the guys, the, the animators there, they didn't like it. It wasn't like what they've done. See, here was the thing about those animators. Those animators followed Walt Disney's lead. They, they would all step in unison, you know, and I'm now I'm, I'm saying this as not all there were, there, of course, we know there were great animators that changed Disney, Disney forever, but there were some that just followed the lead. They followed, you know, the, it was almost like a elephant in a line, grab the tail and you, and, you know, and they just kept walking. Mary Blair was not that Mary Blair was the mouse running around the feet, making them all dance in the air, you know, just driving them crazy because she wanted something different. She wanted something completely different. So when she's doing Cinderella, she kind of had all those animators up in arms about what was going on. And the problem was this. It was hard to to mimic her animation style. So it was hard to get these other animators to understand it and to, and to mimic what she had going on. So her what she had for Cinderella kind of gets pushed to the side. She loses that. And with that, she kind of, you know, is upset by this. You know, and she had done all this work on Cinderella, but most of the work she does is scrapped. It's completely set aside, gone. And at this time, you know, Mary Blair has moved away from Hollywood. Uh, she has children with Lee, and actually Lee's serving in the military. And there were a lot of, I would say, questions in her head as to if this was for her with the Disney company. And here's the one interesting thing about Mary is Mary left the Disney company many times. She wasn't one of those people who started working for Disney, stayed with Disney, and that's all she did. She left multiple, multiple times, and this was one of those. And it really set her back. Now, Walt also knew. Walt loved Mary Blair. He loved her style, and he wanted her to be a part of of these films. He wanted her to have that moment to have her own project. But the one thing about Cinderella is they needed money. The studio needed money now because they had been losing money during the war, during the strike. And so that's when they brought in all the other animators and they got rid of all the sharp lines, the designs that Mary brought in, and they went to more of rounded edges and the natural looking characters that you see. Uh, because Cinderella, actually, when they were animating this, they brought in live performers and they acted out the entire movie for the animators. So the animators actually just drew what they saw as these people were, were acting, out, acting out the movie. I want to go right into Alice in Wonderland. And and where she was with this, because it that's a perfect segue into this. Okay, and the reason I, I I say that is because you know Walt Walt Disney himself he wanted to do Alice in Wonderland even before Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and when Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was out and it was time to make Alice, he actually contacted Mary Blair, and this is where Mary Blair was able to throw her weight around. If you notice in Alice, you'll see that her, her harsh lines, you'll see Alice's dress is is a triangle. It doesn't flow like Snow, Snow White's or uh, Cinderella's. You know, you'll see the colors are all Mary Blair. And, you know, this is she was essential to the production phase of this movie. 
Yeah, and you know, it wasn't just the lines, it wasn't just the color, it was the attitude of the movie. You get to see her kind of eccentric way of thinking and her fun uh, personality come out in this film because if you're watching that film, it's a fun film. It's go, 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 and it's just twists and turns, and that's kind of the way Mary was. Unlike Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan was... Mary Blair's affiliation with Peter Pan is deep, but not as heavy in the in the post production. Now, the, aesthetically, the characters are are different. They're they're bolder. They're chunkier. You know, the colors are are a little bit deeper. But I will tell you this though, when it comes to the color schemes and the lighting, that was all Mary Blair. All right, and as far as the movie goes itself. The Mermaid Lagoon, Skull Rock, and my favorite, Tinkerbell, all these are 100% Mary Blair. And with that being said, Peter Pan is her last feature film for Disney. You know, and like I said earlier, I mean, after Peter Pan, she she doesn't work on another film for Disney, but she, Mary left the company so many times because... I really do think that she was one of those people who I'd say I think saying getting bored is the wrong thing to say. I think she just she knew what she wanted. She was an artist at heart. She knew what she wanted her art to be, and she didn't want to be confined to one way of producing that art. And so she would leave the company, come back, uh, leave the company, come back, and Walt gave her that ability to do that. I mean, you're talking about someone who has Walt Disney's respect. He allows her to go and to come back and be a part multiple times. You know, Marty Sklar actually says that every time she would leave, it would deeply, deeply uh, affect Walt, and then she went to do her own thing. And and that really says something for what she was to Walt Disney. And whenever she left Disney, she worked on multiple other projects. I mean, she did everything from working at Radio City Music Hall. Um, she illustrated something that is absolutely favorite and something we have in our house. Jason, I'm sure you have in your house. And parents around the world have all those the, those little golden books, you know, of Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Peter Pan, you know, all these great uh, um, tales that we read to our children at night. She illustrated those. I mean, that is living art, living Mary Blair art that we have on our bookshelf. And that's something that we cherish. But she was a massively popular figure by now. And so she is... Known worldwide, not only for the animation for Disney, but for the books and for working in television and for doing all those other things. But it wasn't until 1963 when the phone rings and on the other line is Walt Disney himself. The 1964 World's Fair in Queens that centered around children was sponsored by Pepsi and UNICEF. Now, here's the thing. Walt agreed to do something. Now, in, in Walt's fashion, he had a vision. He agreed to do something. And not so much, uh, not enough time to get it done. All right. I mean, you know, you know, Walt. This is one thing I love about Walt is sometimes he bites off more than he can chew, but yet he always gets it done. So he calls Mary Blair, and they're going to work on this project. The influence and styles that Mary Blair gained from South America was one of Walt's biggest draws to her for this project. Imagineer Rolly Crump said this. I think it hit her at the right time, since it was about children, the freedom of color, and that Walt had asked her to do it. Now think about this for a minute, Justin. What an honor to have Walt, Walt Disney, ask you personally 
to do something. Now, what do you think her personal thoughts were on that? Do you, after leaving the company a couple times, do you think that it was? Do you think that maybe she was reserved, or or was she that comfortable with Walt, where it was more like a, a brother sister, where like, well, what's in it for me? Or do you think she would be like you and I, like, wow, this is an incredible opportunity again? I think there was such a mutual respect between the two that one, she was allowed to leave, come back. Because he knew her talent, knew her gift, but she also knew his talent and his gift. I think they just respected each other so much that when this opportunity came about, she, of course, was going to say yes. He knew before he placed the call, she's going to say yes. This will be something that is right down Mary's alley. Look, Walt always had an eye for not only talent, but for putting the right talent with the right project. And as soon as Walt, you know, like you said, kind of bit off more than he could chew with this, he thought Mary Blair is the perfect person. Let's make the phone call. And of course she says, yes, I am in. Let's do this. Now, if you're listening to this show, I know you are a Disney fan. You love Disney, Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, wherever you are in the world, you love Disney and you love that Disney aspect of life. And if you love Disney, you have ridden It's a Small World. It's just an aspect of being a Disney fan. I would say it's almost like getting your driver's license when you turn 16, you know? you Just something you go do. When you go to Disney, you ride It's a Small World. If you've ridden It's a Small World, then you have seen the ultimate depiction of Mary Blair. You have seen what Mary Blair is as an artist because those styles, those colors, those lines, the way the exterior and the interior of that attraction is, you know, you're looking at all the dolls all throughout the countries are all set up. It is exactly Mary Blair. You're looking at the the massive eyes and the massive heads on the dolls. It goes back to the Penelope short she worked on. Uh, there's lots of different aspects that Mary brings to this, and it is her attraction. When people think it's a small world, you think Walt Disney first, you think Mary Blair second. And those two could be flip-flopped easily because she had her hand in everything. It was her attraction. They took this attraction from the World's Fair and they moved it to Disneyland in 1966 and they expanded it. Now, we, I mentioned Crump before, the Imagineer that had that quote. Now, this is something really interesting is they had to copy her style through the expansion. And, and that was the feeling I was getting where it was um, not easy to do, especially when they were trying to capture that, that memorable feeling, that memorable experience that you would have originally got from the World's Fair. And I found that extremely interesting that you have somebody that's an incredible Imagineer who is uh, where it's difficult to, to copy Mary Blair and try to capture what she wanted, all right? Yeah, and that, you know, that was the problem with her animation style, too. That was why she didn't have these massive opportunities in these earlier films was because her style was impossible to, to copy. I mean, it was just these animators and these Imagineers had a hard time, but they got it done. Jason, I want to do this though, okay? I want to I want you I want to paint a picture for you and I want to take you on an adventure to Disneyland, okay? You and I are walking into Tomorrowland and I look at you and I go, "Hey dude, Look right over there, and I want you to look right over here. And what if I was to tell you that in those two places, there is a 54-foot long and a 15-and-a-half-foot high corridor of murals? And you look, and there's nothing there. 
There's only pictures put up. Current pictures of attractions and things like that. And you go, where? Where are they? And I said, they're behind there. They're behind there. And those were done by Mary Blair, hand-painted by Mary Blair. Well, that's actually still in Disneyland. It's a Disneyland treasure. You cannot see it, but it's still there. These murals were just covered over in 1987 and in 1998. And according to Marty Squar, they're still there. Those uh, smiling faces of children in the mural and different nations, um, they weren't damaged. They weren't taken somewhere else. They're just simply covered. And so every time you go to Disneyland, behind those walls is a living piece of Disney history and of Mary Blair art. Uh, to be honest with you, my mind is blown right now. I think that is great. I I wish they would unco- I, either uncover it or move it. Absolutely. Find somewhere to put it. It's Mary put Blair. It, put it in a dome, man, or something. Listen, we all know how fantastic her murals are. Because if you go to Walt Disney World, you jump on a monorail, and you're going through the contemporary... We get to look at one of the best murals on planet Earth. When ni- when the contemporary was opened in 1971, Mary Blair displays her 90-foot mural in the Grand Canyon Concourse, which I always call it the Grand Canyon Concourse, at Disney's Contemporary Resort. Have you seen this mural, which I know you have? I, I, I Listen, my wife is a huge Mary Blair fan, and she's the one who actually introduced me to Mary Blair almost to the point where when we did our first Disney trip and like we would look at this mural, she was almost offended because I was like, I didn't know who Mary Blair was or I didn't know that this was the artwork, you know, because she's so much of a Mary Blair fan. It is a must look at, you know, this is one of those things where like if we go to Chef Mickey's or, you know, or if, um, you know, I was going to pretend to eat at the California Grill, like you actually do, but I, I'll pretend to. Every trip, <laughs> the uh, it's it's really worth just looking at uh, how how amazing this mural is, you know. And and the thing is, I hope people don't just walk past it and think it's just a picture, because it's not. It's an actual piece of history. Now, Jason, picture this: that mural has over eighteen thousand hand painted tile plates, hand painted. Now, it had to have taken. And a NASA a group of NASA geniuses to be able to put this thing together. It's like putting a it's like putting together the Lego uh, Disney castle on steroids. It's like putting together uh, nineteen puzzles that weren't meant to fit together all into one piece. I can't imagine how they did this. Yeah, but- and and to uh, they also had to blow the original image up. You yeah. know what I mean? So it was all in perspective, and 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 it was. You're right. What an incredible feat that they had. And here's what I here's what I want everyone to do. Listen, the next time you get contemporary, don't just don't just go through on the monorail and see it. Get off. Go down because you can actually touch it. It has it has texture to it. You can touch it. It goes all the way down there to the cafe. You know, you can spend some time because she, look, Mary Blair deserves that. That mural is something that I hope personally will always be a part of the contemporary. You know, we see Disney change constantly we're seeing them change things but i think that i would there's two things i would i would bring a picket sign and be outside of disney property is if they ever took figment away and the second one is if they ever took the mural out of the contemporary i think it is disney culture it is a classic it needs to stay as long as disney is there 
Agreed. I'll even throw in Small World there. I think that is just an iconic ride that, that always must be there. Now, going, going, talking about the mural, there's always the talk of the five-legged goat on the mural. All right? <laughs> now, where is the five-legged goat? I'll let you guys find it. I'll give you a hint of where it's at. It's high. Now, Justin and I, after doing a lot of the research, we know why there is a five-legged goat. However, I'm going to let you guys decide for yourself on whatever avenue or whatever rabbit hole of information that you get because there's speculation all over the internet. And I'm going to let you guys figure out the real reason. And you know what? Even if it's not the real reason, have fun with it because there, yeah, there's some fun, fun stuff. Yep. I was, uh, very, there is some really, really fun. And, and a lot of the rumors are, or speculation makes sense. But there's only one real answer. And uh, have fun with it. And post it in the group. Post in the group what you think it is. The impact Mary Blair had on the Disney company is second to none. We see it everywhere. We see it in animation. We see it with attractions. We see it in the parks. We see it in the contemporary and in other resorts. You know, just her, her animation and her artistic style is everywhere that you see Disney. We see it in books that we read our kids. You see it. If you, if your wife loves dresses, now they have a whole dress line based on, on Mary Blair's animation style. It's amazing how far it stretched. Unfortunately, we lost Mary in 1978, a true Disney icon. And it wasn't until 13 years later, but I'm so glad this happened. In 1991, she becomes a Disney legend. You know, from from Walt Disney World to Disneyland to the the Walt Disney Family Museum, when you get an opportunity to stop and look at her work, admire it. You know, give give her the nod of a Disney legend because she had her thumbprint on so much that we appreciate today. What do you say about Mary Blair? Mary Blair was unapologetic, unafraid to go after what she knew she wanted. Mary Blair knew the artistic style that she, as an artist, she knew who she was and she wasn't afraid to say no. She wasn't afraid to say, this is how we're doing things. And if you, you know, if you don't like it, then this, this project isn't for me. And she stayed true to herself and you have to respect someone who stays true to themselves and who they are. And with that, I think that's why we get such amazing art from Mary. Why we get such an amazing contribution from her. It was because she stuck true to herself and true to her craft. And she brought her talents to Walt Disney World, to Disneyland, to Disney Animation, to culture. I mean, she changed what women were for animation at that time. And she wasn't afraid to stand up to these guys and say, we're doing it this way or I'm out. And she would leave. She would walk away. She was the perfect negotiator. Mary Blair, we are fortunate to have had you. We're fortunate to still have you in the parks. You know, I, I have artwork on our wall from Mary Blair. I am not only a fan of Mary Blair the artist, I'm a fan of Mary Blair the woman. So this week, we shine our spotlight on you, Mary Blair, and we thank you for your contribution. And you are a part of the Disney 8 this week. 
Like each week, we don't just want to look in the past. We also want to look into the present and the future of fantastic women in the Disney Company. And this week, we honor Shelby Jiggett's Tiffany. Shelby is a published author, and she has a deep background in theater. She leads creative executives who inspire innovation through the organization. Uh, she's been responsible for a ton of fantastic and awesome, awesome productions um, from Walt Disney World Parks and resorts. She did Twi- uh, Twice Charmed, an original twist on Cinderella story for Disney Cruise Line. The Golden Mickeys! The Golden Mickeys! It's on a cruise line, and I love it. It's one of my favorite shows. Gets me every single time when I watch it. And uh, so I, I love that. Um, but also, she has done Disney's Aladdin, a musical spectacular. And uh, and she now le- uh, she also led the entertainment program for Alani, which I am heading there in uh, in less than two months. So I absolutely, what a fantastic woman with an amazing uh, um, contribution to the Disney company. Shelby, thank you so much. And we shine our spotlight and we thank you for giving so much to not only us, but also to the Disney company. And you are a part of the Disney 8 this week. Jason, I've had an absolute blast, buddy. It's always fun, man. It's, it's always, it. I will say this, it is, it pushes me more than any other project we do. And I think, I think I could speak for both of us in this, that we spend more time on this than we do anything else because we love it. We, and we think that not only do we, not only do we love it, but we also, we think these people deserve this. They deserve to be talked about and remembered and, and, you know, people to know what they've given. And I don't ever want to not live up to their standard personally. So, you know, we both try to spend an amazing amount of time on this, and I hope that comes through on the show, and we just really, really enjoy going back and forth and talking about these amazing women. You know, great people deserve to have their stories told, and I don't care if there's a thousand shows about Mary Blair or any of the Disney 8 that we're talking about. They they deserve to have another show. And, you know, and I, and next year or two years down the road, if there's another show about Mary Blair, I'll download it and listen to it. Yeah, definitely. Because it needs to be told. You know, that stories need to be told. Yeah, you know, and I like I'm, I'm a fan of other podcasts. I've done those shows, and they do a fantastic job. And I just think you can never get enough when talking about these Disney legends. They're just, these are people who have changed the world, have changed Disney, and have changed our lives personally because we're such biz- Disney fans. So... I'm excited. I've loved doing this fifth episode of the Disney 8. And with that, have a fantastic week. And we'll be seeing you next week on the Disney 8. Night, buddy.